but I think re-messaging this idea of sex is something that I have to provide to someone else versus sex being something that actually gives to me. And how do we flip the script and allow for our partners to take care of us without it being so transactional? What would it be like to just be explored and be uh, taken care of without also this idea of there needs to be an orgasm or penetration? I think that can actually feel really powerful to, to some women. Welcome to the Messy Mom Podcast by Fit Mama and 30. I'm Bailey. And I'm Carrie. And the Messy Mom Podcast is all about ditching the idea of perfection during motherhood and embracing the messy, ranging from topics about pre and postnatal health and wellness, infertility, mom guilt, and of course, the craziness that comes with raising a family. So if you would like to live on this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review as this helps other mamas learn to embrace the messy with us. So get ready for a 30 minutes of real, raw, and messy content. Let's get started. Hey, hey, mamas. Welcome to another spicy. <laughs> We're going to call this Fit Mama After Dark. This is Fit Mama After Dark material going on here. We have a great episode. Uh, if you did not see our Instagram, we ask. It's been a couple of weeks now. We brought on Dr. A Dr. Emma Schmidt. She is a sex and relationship therapist. So we told the audience, if you will, for just your questions. And did you deliver? Let me just tell you, you did. <laughs> Definitely did, for sure. You did deliver. So we had just some great, great conversation. She answered a lot of your questions. And I just felt really gave some good little tips and just different ways to think about sex and intimacy that I had honestly never heard of. Yeah. Me either. Right. So yeah, we, Bailey and I both, I just, after the podcast were like, that was, it's just a great, like whatever you're thinking now, like we, the whole reason we wanted to bring her on is, you know, like sex is like this taboo or dirty word. And, you know, especially after becoming a mom, Emma, Dr. Emma Schmidt, she's a mother too. Um, and she'll share her struggles with postpartum intimacy and sex. You know, it's just something we don't talk about, whether it be a taboo topic or we feel dirty about it. Um, it's just not something that we discuss, like, you know, fitness and nutrition that Bailey and I get in here and discuss every day. So we thought it was really important to bring on an expert, not only who has the knowledge and the background, but has a personal experience to that she can relate to and really bring out information that I just think, you know, if you're not a mom or, or clearly an expert in the field, you just can't give the insight that she did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She had a lot of, you know, from her own personal experience to just helpful tips and information that whether you're struggling in this area or not, I think everyone will take something from this and find it really helpful. Totally agree. So it's a little, it's probably about a 45 minute episode. Honestly, we probably could have talked another 30 minutes if we didn't have motherly duties, like, you know, getting kids on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Things happen. Things happen. But she, um, I mean, I seriously, I probably had four or five more questions that could have lasted a whole nother hour. So mm -hmm. a lot of great information packed into 45 minutes. So uh, this is an exciting one. We'll be excited to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Please give us feedback about this. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And obviously this episode is like Carrie said, a little more spicy. So probably not the episode to listen for your young children or kids. So if you're in the car, maybe hit pause, listen to this at another time when you're by yourself or even with your your husband, your spouse, partner, just because it is talking about, not that it's necessarily a bad thing, right? But probably things that for are for a more mature audience. Agreed. Yeah. Like you said, not a bad thing and maybe some good pointers, but I'll tell you right now, if you don't want your six-year-old asking what sex <laughs> means, I would probably not have this episode turned on. <laughs> exactly. So that is our disclaimer. <laughs> good one. Good, good, good call, bae. All right, mamas, enjoy it. Hi, Dr. Schmidt. Welcome to the Messy Mom Podcast. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. I am beyond pumped. I've probably talked this podcast up the most out of all of our topics. Bailey knows this. Yes. I think I've wanted to do... So we've, we've started this podcast and then we had to take a break for various mother life things. Mm -hmm. And now, But even back then, I was like, 
I would love to have a sex therapist on the podcast. Like, I think it's very important, but I never, I was like, I just don't know who, I don't know who to reach out to. And then as we were talking before this, I found you on my church's podcast, which is, which is the per- perfect place to find that. <laughs> right? So yeah. when I was like, hey, my pastor can interview you. I absolutely, this is the perfect person to bring on. So Emma, we're really excited to have you. If you don't mind though, before we just jump into everything we're going to talk about, uh, just kind of introduce yourself, tell everyone a little bit about you, family, activities, interests, education, anything you want to share. Yeah. So I'm a sex therapist and a clinical sexologist, which is really exciting and is always a good party conversation starter. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is. <laughs> people who want to tell you everything or don't know how to follow up any other questions. They're like, <laughs> yeah, bye. Okay. I have to go to the bathroom now. Yeah. yeah. They get red in the face. They're like, okay, bye. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Or they think that you can like read their mind and know everything about their sexual history, like in that moment, which is <laughs> by their name. Yeah. <laughs> so I started this practice about 12 years ago and it really came out of a struggle that my husband and I have. We weren't able to have intercourse due to the sexual pain called vaginismus, this tension in the pelvic floor called vaginismus that we didn't understand and we couldn't find help for. We figured, you know, if we're struggling with this, other people have to be struggling with this as well. So it took me down a deep dive in trying to understand our own sexual functioning. And I really wanted to be able to provide quality sexual health care for the Cincinnati area when it didn't seem accessible for us and then to a lot of people after that point. And so I got trained in sex therapy, started my practice. And back then, not many people really wanted to give sex therapy a chance. And it was actually Crossroads that um, was the first one who said like, hey, we want to we know that this is a problem for people. Come and be a part of our community and talk to our community. And I had started a group for women struggling with sexual acting out behaviors and 300 women signed up. And that was 12 years wow. ago. Wow. And I was really thankful for them. And so as I got traction going, we I then realized if I want to be able to help the community, I need more people on our team to be able to provide more therapy, sex therapy for people. So we started the group practice and last year we were able to have over 11,000 sex therapy sessions, which is oh goodness, cool. Yeah. So that felt really awesome. Now we have five different locations. Uh, so we have Westchester, we have Hyde Park, Northern Kentucky, Indiana, Chicago. And then we also help out in Nepal with this organization called Mukti, who They have a home for girls that they rescue from sex trafficking from, they're usually 17 years and younger. So we provide free sex therapy education for them, sex therapy training, and really work with their care team there to be able to help these girls who are coming out of sex trafficking. So it's really cool to see what's happened. We have this um, in-home, in-house sex school now where we're able to get anybody who comes onto our team trained as sex therapists. And we have a student program for those who are in their counseling program to come and get trained. So it's really cool. We've become very much a training center. And so to think of where it was 12 years ago and no one really wanted to hear about this or thought that it was important to now just feels like a blessing and being able to have and provide more accessibility for sex therapy out in the community. And like I was saying earlier too, it's funny because I think like, oh, it's nice that sexual health has become more prominent conversation. And so I assume like, oh, people just know about this information. And the reality is it's still such a taboo topic. And so I'm really grateful for all the opportunities that I can get to be able to speak about this and to just get the conversation continuing to go and hopefully help with sexual health or sexual healing or whatever that looks like. Normalizing the situations that we all probably go through in isolation in our own homes, but don't really know the language or who to ask about whatever we're experiencing. So, so yeah, all of this was started out of my own struggles. Last year, I had surgery for endometriosis, which really took me out. Uh, So if you've had endometriosis, you know how much that takes on to your sexual health and your quality of life. So I feel like my life has really been a case study for me being a sex therapist and to provide empathy for the clients. Uh, So we've gone through a lot of different sexual health challenges. And really it helps me become a a better advocate for this field as well, which is fun. You know, it's funny. You you talk about that taboo topic. Like that's what, you know, Bailey and I do women's pre and postnatal health. And like you want a pelvic floor, like no one wants to say the word pelvic floor. 
I mean, we do, you know, like even on, it's just crazy how even we're not even talking about sex. We're just talking about a muscle and everyone's like, (laughs) oh, let's not talk about how to train our pelvic floor. It's just crazy how certain things are such like triggers of, yeah, like taboo. We can't talk about that. I'm like, yes, we can. (laughs) Yeah. My husband's from Germany and over there it's required that you get pelvic floor therapy after birth. It's a conversation. And here it's, a lot of people don't even know that there's a doctor that exists to be able to help for postpartum physical, um, like bouncing back and all the pain that you experience from tearing to losing nerve endings from scar tissue in your clitoral area and just not even knowing how it impacts your quality of life, let alone your sexual health. Yeah. That's crazy. I wish we could bring that to America. Yeah. Very needed. Our last podcast, we talked about that a little bit. Hopefully it's heading that direction. Hopefully. (laughs) Way more than it has been. Yes. And I think it's because we're talking about it, right? Like so many more people are starting to talk about it, which is great. And hopefully we can just get that improved a little bit more and see it a little bit more. I think we're getting there, but we still have a long way to go. Yeah. And I think it's the same thing in accessibility financially. A lot of these things aren't covered by insurance or the insurance dictates too much of what you're allowed and not allowed to do. So sex therapy is not covered. A lot of pelvic floor therapy can't be covered. And so it's hard because it doesn't feel accessible either once you do find it or you're, you know, you don't want to be spending thousands and thousands of dollars for multiple types of care postpartum either. Totally agree. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We had some questions actually that from our listeners for you. And this question came up multiple times from our listeners. So basically they're saying they're struggling with being a mom, whether it's stay at home, working, being a good spouse. So their sex drive is basically non-existent just because they have so much going on in their lives. And they want to know, is this normal postpartum, especially in the early postpartum stages? And what can they do to increase their overall sex drive? Yeah. Well, first too, I want to recommend, do you all know the book, The Fourth Trimester? Yeah. I've heard of it. Yes. Yes. This is a really, really good book for all care postpartum needs. And there's an excellent chapter in there around sexual health that I think is just phenomenal because the reality is we all struggle with this or almost all of us struggle with this postpartum sexual health phase and just not having libido. So yes, it's normal. (laughs) I have this funny story where my husband and I were trying to have sex for the first time after our second child. And we're like, okay, we have the, I don't even know what it's called anymore. You know, where like the kid cries over the, what's that thing? The little, like the, um, like monitor. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Yeah. I lost so many brain cells. (laughs) (laughs) I think we all have over the last eight years, half of mine are gone. It's fine. Fine. We had like the baby monitors there and we're like, okay, the the tricky part is like, okay, you get a, you try and get aroused, which takes effort. Right. And then like you hear the baby crying. So somebody leaves to like, go try and like calm the baby down and then comes back and you try and start it over again. Because for women, usually like if it's not ongoing, it goes back to zero and then you have to start all over again. And it never ended up happening after like two hours of trying to like do this, like on, 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 off start <laughs> stuff. Right. So if you think, okay, I have this baby, I want to connect sexually, or I'm trying to, it takes so much effort to even try to do this. And I only have so much time before the baby wakes up again. I don't necessarily want to be spending my energy and time (laughs) engaging in this thing that has stereotypically been, and I think generationally told to us that it's something we have to give to our partner versus something we receive as a refuel and something that's relaxing to us. So this is normal. And also it's part of our script that's happened to us over the years where sex has been narrated to us and messaged to us that it's something that we give to our partner and not something that we receive for pleasure. Or if it is something we receive for pleasure, it's usually because our partner is only doing it to receive pleasure for themselves. And so at the end of the day or in the middle of the day or whenever, a lot of female identifying people are typically not one to want to give again to something else. And so, yes, this is normal. Libido wise, there are a lot of different impacts that can happen, whether you're nursing, breastfeeding, pumping, 
libido goes down because of the estrogen levels that are taking place when postpartum, especially. And so what happens too, is that our estrogen levels, when those decrease, actually our uh, lubrication in our vaginal canal and in our vulva will also decrease. So the vulva is that external genital area and the vagina is the whole area. So some people call the whole thing the vagina, but it's actually just the where you insert. So when the vulva doesn't have space or have the hormones to engorge for that arousal or to get lubricated, then pain can happen because the when estrogen is in the vaginal canal, it also makes the vag- vaginal canal kind of like a rubber band. So it's squishy and it's elastic. But when estrogen is taken out of that, it becomes more rigid and feels like sandpaper whenever you have penetration that happens. And also it's difficult for arousal to happen. So when we think about a male counterpart who can get an erection from arousal, usually women actually also get erections through their clitoris, um, which is if you extended it, it would also be a penis. So if you're not able to get that, then arousal is difficult to happen. And usually for women, it takes about 35 to 40 minutes to actually feel that full state of arousal, where it takes only around 30 seconds for a male to feel that. Wow. Is that, that's as crazy. I don't think I knew that. And that's not fair. (laughs) It's not fair, right? Yeah. So there are a lot of points here. One, how are you and how did you typically end up having sexual interactions prior to kids? Two, it's going to take time for you to feel aroused and be able to get in a state where your nervous system is in a place to shift from doing all the things that you're doing with your kids to an erotic type of experience. Your mind, your body, there needs to be like a transition period usually for your state to get there. And then when you're in this postpartum state, depending on where your experience is, you might have breast engorgement that hurts. You might have, you might feel uncomfortable in this new body that you have. You might have fluids that are still happening through your vaginal canal that feel unknown to you or not having lubrication there. And what's difficult is the message then of my partner needs or wants this and it's my responsibility to then give this to them. And so I feel like I'm failing as a partner. Other messaging is if I don't do this for them, they're just going to go find it somewhere else. So I need to then like go above and beyond and deny my own needs and feelings and experiences to keep providing for everyone else in my immediate circle, which leads to burnout and then leads to us feeling exhausted and then is not healthy for arousal anyways. Have you all heard of Come As You Are, the book Come As You Are? I don't Mm -hmm. think I have. So Emily Nagowski wrote this book. It's one of the largest and more modern sexual health research books that she modernized into helping in language that we can all understand. And she talks about these brakes and accelerators. So around sexual health. So when we're thinking about getting aroused and wanting to have libido, we have to recognize what are the things that make my libido or sex drive break? And what are the things that accelerate my arousal and desire? So one thing that can be really helpful is to think about in this state that I'm in now, it's going to be different than pre-birth. What feels arousing now? What feels like an accelerator now? And what feels like a break now? And how do I communicate that to my partner? And how can my partner communicate their breaks and accelerators to me? So it might be my partner running me a bath or giving me a a full body massage or scratching my hair or playing with my hair. That might feel like an accelerator to me and feel really connecting to me right now. Where a break might be coming up and grabbing my butt or grabbing my boobs or, you know, throwing me on the bed or uh, feeling guilty and looking really sad after they leave if I say no to sex. Like that might be like a major break for me. The other piece is being able to start to incorporate sexual experiences that don't lead to penetration or an orgasm. What is it like to just be able to be together? For even like a three minute experience to say, let's make out right now, or let's just caress each other's hands, or what would it be like to explore each other's body without breasts and genitals right now? So, being able to identify too, can we and how can we be playful together 
where we're not having the expectation of what I call A plus B equals C. So penis gets hard, insert into vagina, orgasm. A lot of times that doesn't work for someone postpartum anyways. So what would it be like to slow down and really start to explore and get to know your sexuality as an individual and then as like in your relationship as well? And one of the biggest pieces postpartum, I think, is just getting used to your sexuality again. I know whenever I my first kid, I was like literally nauseous at the idea of touching myself or and I had heard these horror stories like your vulva will never look the same. And so I'm thinking I'm going to look down and it's going to be green and like mutilated. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Unrecognizable. Yeah, exactly. And so being able to take space for yourself, to explore yourself, to be able to get back into your own body and explore and figure out what it's like for you to touch yourself again, things move around down there after and not like, I mean, now I'm probably like creating horror stories for other people. (laughs) You know, like your clitoris changes and the size of it changes and your labia can change and your inner labia can actually become longer than your labia majora. So the external like lips. So being able to explore and look at a mirror and see like, what is my, what does my vulva look like? And what does it feel like to touch it now? And how is it different than before? And the nerve endings might be different. And so how can I explore my body? What is it like to touch my stomach and my breast and my arms? What does all of this feel like? How do I get back into my body? How do I know my own sexual sexual health and sexual functioning individually first and and then invite my partner into that. And sometimes that can feel like a better transition. But I think remessaging this idea of sex is something that I have to provide to someone else versus sex being something that actually gives to me. And how do we flip the script and allow for our partners to take care of us without it being so transactional? What would it be like to just be explored and be uh, taken care of? without also this idea of there needs to be an orgasm or penetration. I think that can actually feel really powerful to to some women. And like a relief. Like I think what you just, I've never heard it put that way. Like you, that as women, we feel like it's something you have to give. And it's like, after you've just given birth and you're nursing a newborn, which you know nothing about, and you're not sleeping and you're trying to keep up with feeding the family and cleaning the house and maybe going back to work, like and you're, con- you know, and you're constantly holding this baby. It's like, you got it. Like the last thing you want is like, no touch me. Like yeah. I need, I need my own space and I need everyone to like, you know, so you, it's, you got that going on. And then you also have what you said, where it's like, it's just added to the list. Like it's mm-hmm. something else that I have to do. Whereas if you take change that mindset, it's like, oh, that might actually be nice. Like it's no longer a task on the to-do list. Yeah. What would it be like if we re-message this idea? Like, Um, going to the spa, which feels really nourishing to some people, right? What would it be like if sex became that for us instead of this task, this thing that I feel pressure to do, or this thing that is demanded of me, or I have put on myself or generationally we've been taught like needs to happen. What would it be like if we re-messaged that for ourselves in our relationships where it felt like something that was actually giving back to us instead of something that we had to give? Yeah. I love that. That makes sense. Yeah. That was great. What would you say to someone? We had another, a lot of people say, okay, let's just say sex isn't happening. Like first, you know, where they're not there yet, but they want some, they want to rebuild that intimacy with their spouse. What are some things or ways that you can start to feel connected that do feel intimate that aren't maybe physical or aren't all the way physical? So intimacy sometimes gets linked to sex, like intimacy is sex, but intimacy is really knowing and being known. So if we, intimacy can be broken down into a lot of different things. So it can be relational intimacy, art intimacy, play intimacy, recreational intimacy, work intimacy. It's all about, am I feeling known by my partner? And do I feel like I know my partner in a deeper way? So if we think about it like that, one of the things that you could do is list out a bunch of different ideas. So like what I had just listed out and talk about how do we want to engage in intimacy in these different ways? So what would it look like for us to play together? What would it look like to feel known when we play together? So my husband and I like golfing and I grew up trying to be a part of the LPGA and he did not. And it's a way for us to be known. He gets these like birdies and like these really good scores and I get angry and want to throw my golf club. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) But it's like... (laughs) 
it's a it's a fun interactive thing where we know each other. He knows that I'm going to get angry and he likes to giggle at me. And I know he's probably going to do better than I want him to do. And I get mad, you know, like, so mm-hmm. how do we play together and, and create these like fun experiences? What would it be like to have aesthetic intimacy where we go and maybe go for a walk and notice the beauty around us or go to an art museum or do something like 21C where you do an in if you are in the Cincinnati area, or I guess there's 21 C's other places, what would it be like to take time to have a room just to yourself and go around the museum that they have there and enjoy that together, but also have a space where you can get away and just sleep together and maybe hold hands or whatever that looks like. Intimacy can also look like if it's if you want to start to increase the sexual piece, but don't want to be physical is starting a sex conversation experience. So what do I like about sex? What do I not like about sex? What do I want to incorporate right now in our life around sex? What do I, am I not ready for? What do I fear about sex moving forward? What was my favorite sexual experience that I had with you? What is uncomfortable to me about talking about sex with you? So you can even do it in that way where you're not physically active, but you're getting to know each other and having that sexual conversation and understanding maybe where each other are when it comes to this, because a lot of us don't even talk about it for one. And so to even have that conversation and actually have it often, just like, I don't know if you all talk about this, but even when we talk about it with our kids, the idea is to have frequent conversations about it, not being one big conversation that you have. What would it be like to have that with your partner and being able to have these ongoing conversations? Because where you are initially postpartum is going to be different than where you are a year from where you're at postpartum. Another activity that you could do is called Sensate Focus. So if you want to start, you don't want to get involved completely sexually with your partner, but you want to start some of the physical activity, but you're scared um, and you don't know where to start and it feels overwhelming, of course. Your body, your nervous system is kind of on a hyper mode because you're trying to figure out how to take care of this kid. A lot of times we're living in this fight or flight mode. Am I going to keep this kid alive? I have postpartum anxiety or depression or psychosis. And my world just feels a little like on alert right now. So when my partner touches me, it is almost painful or I like I tense up. And so one activity that you can do is starting with just your hand where you're caressing the other person's hand and just getting to know it. What is it like for me? It's not a massage, it's not petting, but what is it like for me to just touch my partner's hand for 15 minutes without talking? What is it like to get to know, oh, they have calluses, they're, what do the calluses mean to me? What does the wedding ring mean to me? What does um, that freckle, I never even noticed they had a freckle on their thumb, that's different. So what is it like to get to know their hand? What is it like for me to touch their hand? What is it like for me to be touched? Am I waiting for the clock to be done? Am I waiting for the situation to be out? Do I feel very uncomfortable? I don't even know he's touching me right now or or she's touching me right now because of how kind of like out of body I am. That will help give you a lot of information on where you're at touch-wise and physical-wise. Once that feels good, then you can move on to like the feet, which is um, a hard spot for people. Or it's a hard spot for me. <laughs> I love going to be touched, but I don't want to do the touching. <laughs> I am not a foot person. <laughs> Although I will say Kevin has great feet. You know, for a guy, maybe you could become one. Uh, I don't think so. Even with even the prettiest feet, I don't think so. <laughs> oh but God. I will say Kevin has great guy feet. Better than mine, honestly. <laughs> but for people that will. For people who like feet. I found out the other day my husband goes to get pedicures. Oh, nice. He should. Yeah. yeah. Because of ingrown toenail stuff, I'm, I said, excuse me? Why did I not know? <laughs> You're like, why didn't I go get a pedicure? <laughs> so Home Depot has become your uh, The spa. Yeah. So Hilarious. starting slowly, it doesn't have to be zero to 100, right? You mm-hmm. can start yeah. to warm your body up, going at your face. That one's always a really interesting one. Looking at yourself in the mirror with your partner, doing a full body caressing without breasts and genitals, and then slowly incorporating the other pieces. What is it like that we take sex off the table and we're just focusing on being together and being in each other's bodies in an intimate, just knowing each other's bodies. So a lot of us don't even take time to explore the body. It's just kind of like you just get into it. So what would it be like just to slow down? So having space 
even 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes a week. Sometimes we don't even get that with our partner, but having that intentional time to sit or do something intimacy wise where you're getting to know your partner and being known, even like some of the, like there are these couples relationship research people <laughs> uh, called the Gottman's. So John and Julia, oh, yeah. and yeah, they have this card deck app that you can download. And in that, let's say you plan 10 minutes where you can ask each other questions and they have mild, medium and spicy. So you can, depending on what you're feeling, you can go through some of those card decks together and ask each other questions at dinner or whatever that looks like. So there are definitely other ways that you can engage in intimacy that that don't have to do with what we think of as sex, but can still feel like we're moving in the right direction in terms of connecting with each other. That was so helpful. That had, you had some great advice there. I would have never thought about some of that. So I think people are going to find that extremely helpful. Thank you for answering that question. Are you currently pregnant, postpartum, or beyond? Lucky for you, Fit Mom on 30 has an exercise and nutrition program for every stage of motherhood. And the best part? The workouts are 30 minutes or less. We know there are about a million online fitness options at your fingertips, but our science-backed and doctor-approved fitness and nutrition programs are designed to support you wherever you're at. From safe and effective pre- and postnatal workouts to our 30-minute strength and cardio conditioning classes, there's truly something for everyone. Did we also mention that we have seasonal recipe guides to nourish not only you, but your entire family? Because let's face it, ain't no one going to be making multiple meals in my house. We know finding the time to exercise and eat well can be challenging once you become a mom, and that's exactly why we started Fit Mom in 30. We want you to find your groove again with fitness and nutrition, which is why you can try any of our Fit Mom on 30 programs completely free for seven days. And if you decide you want to stick with us after the seven days, you can get $10 off your membership. All you have to do is enter the code podcast at checkout. I know we talked a little bit about increasing your overall sex drive in the postpartum phase, but what advice do you have to? keep the sex alive <laughs> postpartum when there's little ones, you know, babies in the house, it becomes a little bit more of a challenge than pre-babies. Yeah. I think the most hated answer is scheduling it. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. You have to think about like everything that we find important, we schedule. Anything that we find as a priority, especially when our schedules get busy, if it's that girlfriend we want to go hang out with, if it's having a in-home date with our kids and doing a movie, whatever it is, we intentionally think about it. We make it a priority. When we're not doing that with sex, it's likely that we're not going to be having sex. And so one of the things that my clients really like is this thing that I've created that is a spontaneously scheduled sex jar. And what you do is you write down all these different ideas of ways that you feel connected sexually, things that you enjoy, things that you like, you write them down on a piece of paper or ways that you feel intimately connected with your partner, tear them off, put them in your own sex jar. And these can be jars for different things, whether it's just intimacy or sexually related. And then you say, Hey, let's do this once a week. We're going to pull from this jar once a week and say it's, I'm going to go first. So what I would do is I would go and pull from my husband's jar And I would schedule whatever that act is for him, but it's going to feel spontaneous for him. So whenever I go and bring him into that situation, let's say it's a, like a caressing experience that leads into like manual stimulation or something. Sometimes the clinical terms sound a little too clinical when I'm in this one. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're like uh, rubbing uh, his body into like a hand job, we'll say. Is something that he finds really relaxing and connecting and feels like that would be something he wants. So I would go and pull that. And then I have to know how does he want to be initiated? What feels good for him? Because that's going to feel different for me in the way that I like to be initiated. So I might go set up the scene. Maybe he cares about candles and music. Maybe he doesn't even know that that's like a thing. So I want to go and initiate him the way that he likes. Maybe that's just pulling him in and then throwing him on the bed. Or maybe it's doing like spa-like music with candles and then uh, bringing him up to that situation. To him, that feels spontaneous. It feels scheduled on my end, but it's making it an intentional priority that we've decided once a week we're going to be doing this. And then the next week he would pull from my jar. Whenever he pulls, 
He has to know the way that I like to be initiated. And maybe that starts out with quality time together and having a conversation and him asking me how I'm doing and knowing and empathizing with what I'm going through. And he knows I need that intentional communication to feel connected to then bring in something more sexual and to lead me into that sexual experience. So then for me, it feels spontaneous, but it's scheduled on his end. This can be a really good way to make it a priority, create some intentionality around it, but also feel like it's not on both of our ends put into our Google calendars. And it's something that feels like a like task that we have to mark off. Um, instead, it, it can feel like my partner is doing something that they know that I feel how I feel cared for and feel connected by them. And they're taking intentional time to make that space for that in this week. So one of the cool things about it is that you get to know what your partner wants and likes, and it can kind of feel like, all right, I'm, I know that I'm checking the box for them. And also mine is going to be checked off too. And so how can we do this together? The things that you wouldn't put in the jar are things that were already off the table. So you wouldn't want to surprise them because that could feel pretty triggering, but it can be fun to add things into your jar that they might not know. So thinking about what do I want to try that maybe we haven't tried before, the things that I like, and knowing that it doesn't need to end in an orgasm or penetration, that sex can look a lot of different ways. So that's something my clients really like and, and tend to feel like allows for some creativity and some scheduled but spontaneous experiences for them. That's a great way to do it. Cause then you don't, like you said, sometimes if you put it on a calendar, it's like we, you know, the most stressful day. And it's like, great. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we scheduled it. So here it's, here it's come. Like that's a great way to like use. And that's very, sounds very feasible. Like it's one, you know, one a week for someone who's just can't get into a good rhythm. Like one time a week, you know, it's something that you're going to connect in some way, but to have like the, leave that little like spontaneity in there. Mm-hmm. That's a great way. I've never heard of that. That's great. Good. Yeah. And I will say some people, their initiation is knowing that it's going to happen. I'm sure there are. Like, the, so, yeah. yeah, you're going to want to know that. Otherwise, it might be too overstimulating to think like, oh, you're bringing me to this situation. So, so yeah, you'll have to just know like that's intimacy is knowing what what's going to feel good for your partner. I love that. On that same spicy topic, <laughs> we had a lot of people ask about toys. Not necessarily specific questions, but a lot of people want like have that question, is it good for your relationship? Like is this something that in the long term can is not a good thing? Or do you find or is it, you know, is it something you would encourage, stay away from, or is it like total what works for you? Whatever way you guys work together. Yeah. So, you know, there's been over the years these ideas of people saying, what is what is sexual health and what is normal sexual health sexuality and what isn't? And really, it's about what do you want in your relationship? And how do you all define this? And how do you all create a contract around like, okay, we're entering into this relationship together, what does sexual health look like for us? And what are we looking for? And so it's going to be different for everyone. Some people are going to say sexual health is exciting to me when I know that you're off using a toy by yourself, that feels arousing, and then maybe I come in later, or maybe sexual health looks like that feels too triggering for me because of an experience I had in the past or based on my religious experience or, you know, whatever that looks like. How do we talk through those things? How do we really challenge maybe our messaging around this? I don't think that they're, they're not necessarily bad or good. It just depends on the narrative that you have around them and also the consent and agreement that you've made in your relationship. So if you will have some really defined messaging around around how you want to incorporate toys into your life. I think that's great. But if it happens without consent, it can feel like a betrayal. And I think that's when it gets a little sticky. Or if there's like some forcefulness that happens or some guilt that gets taken, gets brought into the conversation. I think toys can help definitely enhance and make things more fun. It's the number one way to help someone who has anorgasmia, someone who's never been able to have an orgasm, be able to have an orgasm. And it's a way that can help spice up some of your sex life if you're wanting something different. So um, being able to use a vibrator on different parts of your body, not just your genitals, but your nipples, so nipple, nipple stimulation, or using different types of like chairs. I don't know if you all saw Building a Sex Room. Is that what it's called? On Netflix? No. 
Is this like a documentary? I, I did not see it, but I saw it was on Netflix. I was like, I wonder what that's about. Yeah. We went on a retreat. My team and I went on a retreat for a few days and they had a theater in this retreat and we watched it for the full. (laughs) It was like, (laughs) yeah, it was a 10 part reality show. Anyways, they have some really cool stuff and they show you how to use the different products and um, way, not in a graphic way, but in a, here's how you could use this chair or how you could use this strap or how you could use this product. So if you're interested in trying it out, I would talk to each other, even doing some journaling of your own. Like, what would this be like to use this? What messaging have I heard around this? What negative feelings are coming up for me around this? Do those feel like facts for me now? Is this something that I'm interested in? What fears do I have moving forward with this? Yeah. So I think it's about an agreement and also maybe just challenging your own thoughts. That doesn't mean you have to come to a different conclusion. It can just be part of the conversation. So it sounds like really just being open and communicating with one another about that and saying, is this something that you like, something that you don't like, and just being, again, open. Yeah. Makes sense. There's another question. I'm going to tag on. I'm going to tag something onto that before Bailey wraps up. We had a lot of questions around, and you know, it said from personal experience about pelvic pain postpartum mm-hmm. and just how, it, like, we had people feeling like, ask, do orgasms, can they feel different? postpartum and which I know you talked a lot about how lots of things change. Are toys one of those ways that can help bring like new sensation or I don't know. Like I don't know if a lot of people feel completely different. I know you said everything can feel sensation wise completely different postpartum. So what was working before might not work anymore. Yeah. Yes. So bringing back some of the sensation and just like wakening up the nerve endings in your pelvic floor can be really helpful with a with a vibrator, especially around your scar of if you had a C-section, that can be a really important way to bring back some of the nerve endings and get those kind of woken back up from the scar tissue. And then of course, like inner labia and around the vulva area can be really, really good and really important in um, clitoral area too. One of the big parts that aren't necessarily toys, but they can also be used as toys are called dilators. And these are when, especially if you have tearing in the vaginal canal down the perineum area, so that's the area from your vagina to your anus, if that area tears, you're going to typically have some pain associated with that because of scar tissue that develops. Or if you've had a full tear, you're definitely going to want some pelvic floor therapy. And dilators can be a really good way to, so dilators are different sizes of what you might think of as a, like a a dildo, but in a tube like form that is, can get some that are, that feel and move that are silicone based. And so being able to have different sizes where you can test out what it would be like for insertion and to start to stretch out that area again, and to work with the scar tissue is going to be really important, but I would always do that with a pelvic floor therapist to help you have an assessment of when to start that and how that would look. So that would be really important. And then also just knowing how estrogen and the lack of estrogen would impact your pelvic floor as well. And it creating some more tension, some more tension there. And one of the things, so whenever I was in my PhD program, my dissertation was on a certain therapeutic modality. So a, a a therapy called EMDR to help relieve sexual pain. And we found that that can be really effective as well. If it comes down to, I'm just really nervous, or I have a lot of anxiety, or I have a lot of messaging around sex now as a mom compared to, you know, pre-mom and the messaging we get when to be a sexual human being as a mom can be really difficult. So sometimes it takes going to therapy from a mental health therapist to help work through some of that, to release that sexual pain as well that can actually travel down your spinal cord into your pelvic floor from your fight or flight part of your brain. So hmm. I don't remember what the question was. <laughs> you did good. No, this no, was that was, no, that was perfect. <laughs> yeah. You answered it super well. <laughs> I did not know that. So your brain can impact your pelvic floor basically. Yeah. Let's say it's kind of like going and touching a hot stove. Like later when you go, you're not going to touch the hot stove or you like will tense up. Yeah. If you've had an experience uh, that makes sense. You have a certain messaging, 
if I think about I'm not supposed to use a toy or I'm not supposed to engage in sex pre-marriage or, you know, whatever the things are, I can naturally start to tense up my pelvic floor. And a lot of us don't even know what it feels like. So I'll even say, if you think about squeezing your anus, like you're sucking up a bowel movement and then try and trace that movement. So like the sucking up movement all the way down to your, to where your vagina is or your penis is, you can start to feel the sucking up motion in your vagina. And then if you push out, you can also feel that that's your pelvic floor. And so one of the things that we work through either in pelvic floor therapy or in sex therapy is identifying the pelvic floor and then trying to understand as we talk about certain messages or memories or experiences, how tense does my pelvic floor feel as I'm talking about that? And how do we start to rewire the brain and rewire like that mind body connection and releasing Mm -hmm. that? Hey, we're big on that. That's we have yes. a whole we have a whole course on how to engage all four corners of your pelvic floor. <laughs> it's important. Yeah. It's it important. Is. It's very important. I love so that. another topic that comes up a lot, especially newly postpartum and just postpartum in general, is low self-esteem, poor body image. Any advice for overcoming this since you know it, it can affect your overall libido, frequency, desire to want to have sex? Like, What's some advice you have for moms that might be experiencing this? Yeah, I'll give a shout out to the Rosie app. I don't know if you all know Rosie. It's a sexual no. app. And I've actually done some courses on there around this specifically. So you can go on there and check it out um, as well if you're wanting to do more of a deeper dive into trying to overcome this. A lot of it is around our own messaging and our generational messaging around our bodies. And I don't know if you all have seen the Dove commercial where it's in French, but they have women write down all the things they feel about their body and think about their body. And then they give it to an actress in a cafe and they um, take that woman, whoever wrote it down to the cafe as an observer. And the actress then tells her friend all these things that the other woman said, like, your legs are so ginormous or like, how could you even think about wearing that outfit? You're way too big for that. Like you have a muffin top, who would ever want to be with you? Like, why would you even think about showing up like this? And just hearing someone else talk about the way that they talk about was just like eye opening. And some people in the cafe actually came up to the actress and said, like, you cannot talk to someone else like that. That's abusive. And so the way, and we all know this, like the way that we talk to ourselves is just like horrific. Mm -hmm. So doing some messaging too around how do I start to identify what is negative body image? What is neutral body image? What is body liberation? How do we get from a place where we can identify and just write out all the things that we feel about our body in a negative way? And how do we start to go through those and, and question, where did I even receive that message from? How did I even get there? Because whenever I was a baby, I didn't have that message. So where did it come from? How do I start to re-script and create a new narrative for myself around what I want to believe and how I want to move forward? And sometimes it takes bringing up a picture of our younger self and looking at that little girl and saying, how do I want to see you? I'm trying to even bringing in some of our daughters, what would I want to say to my daughter? And how do we start to say those things to ourselves? It's very challenging. You know, you've learned this and we see it in our culture and it's perpetuated on social media, but there's a movement happening. And I think sometimes it takes us being brave to say like, I'm going to choose to do something different. And then we have this like crew of people who start to say like, oh, awesome. Now I can be liberated from this too. There's so much freedom and you deserve to have that freedom of just not giving a shit. Yeah. I love Amen. That. Amen. Amen. I love it. I really feel like I've started to master that in the last two years too. <laughs> what has been helpful for you in that? Like, what do you feel like has helped you? Honestly, I think it's like, as you have kids too, I think it's like, you just think about what's truly important and where you're spending your time and energy. And I don't have energy for thinking about what other people think of me. Not that I'm trying to be rude or that, and I do care about people and I don't want to offend anyone. Like I'm not trying to be offensive, but at the same time, like I have certain beliefs, I have a certain personality type and I have certain things that I believe and want to do in the end of the day. So at the end of the day, it's like, I want to live my life. How, you know, we've talked about, I am a very, I'm a religious person. I want to live like according to God. I want to live according to my beliefs. But at the end of the day, I'm not everyone's cup of tea, you know? So I, I think when you can just say like, 
going to live my life. Like it's a freeing and you don't, you lose, like there's not as much time kept up. And what is so-and-so going to think about that? And should I do this because X, Y, and Z, it's just, I've let go a lot more and it's, it is kind of crazy how much I'm not, is I don't have anxiety over certain things. And I think you pass it on to your kids. Like, I think my kids can see that same attitude. Yeah. And I think when you get to that place or, you know, you're working on that place when you're around other people who are on the other side, it feels almost shocking to hear what they're saying and the way that they're still like enslaved to this idea of what we need to look like and how to be. And so, yeah, I would say trying to do the work, trying to um, challenge yourself on the messages and getting to a place of allowing just a little bit, you don't need to go zero to a hundred, just to have like body neutrality and and your body being okay just the way that it is. There's so much freedom in it. And you don't realize yeah. how much time you waste trying to think about it and plan and organize. Oh my gosh, it's so true. Mm-hmm. Emma, thank you so much for this. This has yes. been, I mean, it's been awesome. It was even more than I could have imagined. Yeah, thank you all for having me. It's, it's always fun having this conversation, especially with like-minded people who understand uh, as moms yourselves. For sure. And I know you have a, you're on Instagram, but if you don't mind, tell our listeners where they can find you if they want to reach out, how they can reach out. Yeah. I will say my social media keeps getting taken down because we're a sexual health. Oh, (laughs) that is so bizarre (laughs) to me. People can put half naked pictures up, but you can't talk about sex. What news we talked about? Like it's wild. How do they think everyone got on this planet? (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? I'm just, it's, it's mind boggling. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. So this keeps getting regenerated every couple of years. So, <laughs> so right now, Instagram is Emma Schmidt Therapy now, Emma Schmidt Therapy, and then Facebook, Emma Schmidt Sex and Relationship Therapy, or I think it's Emma Schmidt Sex Therapy. And then our website is emma-schmidt.com. We have a lot of blogs on there. We're about to put up a big video series that you can go check out and get some information from. So if you ever have anything that you want to know or questions or anything you want us to put out there, feel free to let us know because the most important piece is that we're addressing the community's questions and needs. So we're happy to to um, get that out there for you. Love that. This has been amazing. Thank you so much, Emma, for coming on. And we will put all that information in our show notes so we can have listeners reach out to you if need be. But thank you so much for coming on. And I know that so many people are going to find this extremely, extremely helpful, whether they want to admit it or not. Agreed. (laughs) Thank you all. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. You can find us on Instagram at fitmamin30. That's F-I-T-M-A-M-A-I-N-3-0. And let us know what you liked about this episode. We love hearing your feedback and what is resonating with you. You can always find the links and resources mentioned in the show on our website, www.fitmamain30.com, along with our programs for prenatal, postnatal, and beyond. Until next time, bye mamas.